0: I didn't look at it as a business at that point, which I should have. And that's one of the points that I would highly recommend to anybody investing is that you have to take your emotions and feelings out of it and look at it as a, a true business, right? Because when you have your emotions and feelings into it, that's when you tend to make decisions that might not be the best for your business model that you're doing.
1: Welcome to Podcast for Patriots. I'm your host, Jim Fralick. I ain't rich, but I damn sure wanna be Working like a dog all day ain't working for me I wish I had a rich uncle that'd kick the bucket And I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett I know everybody says money can't buy happiness But it can buy me a boat me to Our goal here yeah, with Podcast for Patriots is to educate, inspire, and assist military members and veterans in achieving financial wealth through real estate investing. Hello, fellow patriots. Super excited again today to be introducing you to my next guest, Mr. Greg Washington. He's actually my second football star out of West Point, that I'm interviewing, so I'm going to have to get some Navy and Air Force guys on here to catch up in the area of athletics. Greg Washington, uh, as I said, is an Army veteran. He's a combat veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan. As I said, he graduated from West Point, uh, where he was team captain and essentially a uh, could have gone on to play in the NFL if he wanted to. I'll let him talk about that. Probably, uh, he's an entrepreneur, businessman. He's invested in real estate, and uh, super excited to have him here today. Like I said, so Greg, you hear me five by there?
0: Hey, hey, Jim.
1: Hey, thanks for joining me. So, uh, so Greg, I gave the people a little thumbnail sketch about you, and I'm wondering if you can fill in some of the details and color around
0: that. Okay, definitely. Uh, well, I'm originally from uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, Fort Bragg. So I, I grew up, you know, around the military. So going into West Point, very interesting story on on how I got here. My rec football coach had followed me from the age of nine, all the way up to 18. And about the second semester of my, sen- my senior year, he approached me about going to West Point, And I'd never heard of it before. Uh, I wanted to go to UNC or Virginia Tech to get an engineering scholarship. Him and I got to talking and he was telling me how he had the opportunity to go, but chose love instead, And so um, he wanted to present me, you know, with that choice. And so he gave me some background information on it and said, all right, Greg, if you go, promise me one thing, you won't quit and I, I told him I went rewind <laughs> two weeks before that I was actually sitting at the table with my mom and a Marine recruiter and I was going to sign up to go to NC State and join the Marine ROTC. and uh, my mom stopped me from signing and said baby you know just wait two weeks and let's pray and see what happens and within that two weeks that's when my, my coach had uh, contacted me and just so happened one of the coaches from West Point was from the area and my high school we had the best season uh, I think to date uh, in school history and so I had made a good name for myself. I got actively recruited to go to West Point and hadn't turned back since. When I got to West Point, I was a freshman when 9-11 happened, so I, uh, my class is considered, you know, the, the true class of 9-11 because we were the, the runts of the litter, and we had the option to leave, and I give my hats off to every one of my classmates because we all stood up and said, you know, uh, we, we, we all came here for a reason and we we're going to see it through. And so uh, we graduated and knew that we were gonna deploy and end up deploying to Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, we, we took the fight to the enemy the best we could. I eventually got out in 2011, started working for Shell Oil and Gas, went and got my uh, master's degree at Tulane University, and started to open up a business called uh, TFP, Tax and Financial Services, with my son's stepfather. So uh, TFP stands for Two Fathers Providing. We came together because I wanted to show my son that, you know, you, you had two grown men that were good role models and wanted to show you and the family and the community that, you know, two is better than one, that a blended family can work, right? And then also, you know, whatever you put your mind to, of course, you can achieve.
1: That's great, Greg. Thanks for sharing all of that. There's a lot in there we could go through. We're going to narrow it down going forward. I, and I really appreciate and, and have a, a lot of respect for that last part you said about uh, TFP and that business you have with your son's stepfather. And I have a uh, similar relationship. We're not necessarily business partners day to day with my stepson's father, who who I've known for you know over 25 years. And we're uh, the best of friends. And I think that's uh, served him and all of us well over the years. So Uh, It's good to run into somebody like-minded on that front.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, And and I'm quite sure you can attest to, you know, the kind of relationship that you have on like a professional and just a grown level. I mean, like it it makes the family run so much smoother when everybody can get on the same page, you know, and, and understand where you're coming from.
1: I totally agree. Greg, there's a lot with your story, I'm but I'm going to drill down into the real estate aspect of it first because I think you told me you're uh, aside from your businesses, you've passively invested in some real estate. What I want to do is I want actually even before you get into passive real estate investing, I want you to take a nugget from your what how you think about real estate investing that could be a lesson learned and share with these listeners because a lot are first-time investors or uh, people in the military of like a lesson learned. Get what I like to call an early warning signal.
0: Early warning systems online. General quarters, general quarters, man your battle stations. This is not a drill. Repeat, this is not a drill. Man, uh, I can't cuss on here, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I would say, you know, my uh, nugget is that you're going to... And you have to learn how to adjust. Uh, You have to do your own research and get your own understanding of how the real estate game works and what to invest in. Because everybody has their own niche and has their own feel and passion for, you know, the different markets that are out there.
1: Okay, that's good. I like it. And I'm very, very shocked that, that, that an Army veteran who grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, will be dropping an F-bomb on my podcast. So I have to think about whether or not I, I strike that from the record or not. But thank you for that nugget and that early warning signal, Greg. I appreciate it. So, so now pivoting to the real estate side of things, tell me about something you've done, like your, your, your mindset on real estate investing and, and what it's like to be a passive real estate investor in particular.
0: Okay. So when when I first started, I, I started trying to be, I don't know if you would call it pass from back, right? But the guidance that was given to me was that, Greg, by the age of 26, you should be owning your first home. When I got out and got commissioned and was getting things set up, you know, that was one of the check the block things that I wanted to do. All right. I needed to get my first home under my belt. With me being active and getting stationed overseas in Germany, trying to find the perfect house while being away was probably like the biggest challenge that I had uh, with my first real estate investment. I had to rely on close friends and family to help Uh, through the process. There were long nights of me searching for the right area When it comes to which area, you know, had the best schools, had all the bare necessities of, you know, the creature comforts of life as far as like being able to have access to go to like Walmart or to the grocery store or gas station or pharmacy. You know, so that that took a while. And then from there, it was just a matter of, okay, you know, we're picking like what state should I consider as far as, uh, okay, you know, when I come back to the U.S., where am I going to be stationed at? So I eventually uh, settled for Georgia as the place where I wanted to pick my first investment, a little spot right outside of Atlanta called Covington. Beautiful home. When I bought the house, I originally bought it in 2008, and that was right before the market crashed, right? In that that neighborhood, that area, I saw that it was more so of a, a retire a retiree place, uh, not necessarily for veterans, but just, you know, like a, a older community. The the demographics, the average age was, I think, anywhere around like 46 to 49. And so I I like that aspect of it because it was like, okay, the average home was selling for 256. You know, you had older neighborhoods, so it's not going to be a lot of noise and, you know, they're going to take care of, you know, the property and the value. It's, ain't going to do anything but go up. And what I essentially thought, you know, from my, my analysis and from what I heard from other people was that, okay, you know, this was probably the worst the market was going to get. And so I essentially bought the house when I when I bought it. I bought it at 216 and I thought I was getting a really great deal. Little did I know, maybe within like less than a year of me buying it, uh, the market tanked. And when I say there were probably about Eight or nine foreclosures within like that that small area. It hit hard. It hit hard to the point where uh, the value of the house dropped in the in the neighborhood to about 104,000. Wow. And it stayed there for like the next two to three years. And so I'm sitting here thinking, like, man, what am I gonna do? Should I sell and take this 100,000 dollar loss, or should I try and ride it out? So I chose to ride it out. I said, all right, well, I'll get into, into renting out the property. I will essentially be my own property manager and a set a criteria where I would rent to older people, you know, that fit the neighborhood's profile and you know, would essentially have a steady income. In doing that, I was at least able to maintain covering the mortgage. So I broke even every month, which for me, it was better than, you know, taking that hundred thousand dollar loss. Right. So, yeah. yeah awesome. So I, I, I saw that as, as a win, what ends up happening is, you know, of course life hits everyone and the tenant ended up running into some financial issues herself. And because I was so close to the property, as far as like managing it and, you know, talking with the tenant, I got too emotionally attached. During the times when she didn't have the rent or was late on it, she would ask me for an extension or, you know, she would ask me, you know, uh if it'd be okay if, you know, she pay it all, you know, like the following month. Sure. So I would allow her to do that based off of of compassion and, you know, trying to be a good person. Right. I didn't look at it as a business at that point, which I should have. And that that's one of the points that I would highly recommend. To anybody investing, is that you have to take your emotions and feelings out of it and look at it as a, a true business, right? Because when you have your emotions and feelings into it, that's when you tend to make decisions that might not be the best for your business model that you're doing. So, I allowed her to skip a month or two here and there. Then it went from you know a month or two to you know three or four months, right? Gotcha. And so it got, it got to the point where it got bad. And, and so, you know, we, we had to get involved and start the whole eviction process to get her out. Now, my lesson learned, hire a property manager. That 10 to 15% that you pay them on a monthly basis, you know, of the rent is completely worth it because they will be on the scene for you. That means you're you're not, you know, tied to a location. You're not having to get late night calls or, you know, when something goes out, you got that buffer in between and someone that I professionally handle it for you. And also when the rent is due, they're gonna go collect because to them it's it's their full time job and they are going to they're gonna do their job accordingly. I, I definitely recommend, you know, hiring a property manager. Eventually, what I did is allowed another tenant to come in. Uh, kind of did a lease to own, and really, I just wanted it to be a wash. As long as they're paying the rent on time, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a rent to own contract that that I have in place currently, and that that was my my way out with that property.
1: Well, let me pause you there, Greg, because that was an amazing a few minutes you just gave a clinic. It's totally unexpected for me, right? You tell me like, ah, you know, I invest a little bit. I'm a passive investor with real estate. You got all your other business ventures. And then you essentially lay out like a whole clinic for the listeners on an active investment. From my viewpoint, this is uh, very active. Even when you have a property manager taking care of it for you, it's a little more passive for you. But unless that was a turnkey And even then it's not 100% because like when something happens, that property falls back to you, you know, in technical terms, of course, that's an active investment. So you had a gamut of things here. You had more lessons learned. Which I appreciate and is very interesting. The whole progression of things of you picking it out, what you had to go through there, finding it, the value that it was at. I mean, I know that area. Nobody could have had worse timing in this business. Hopefully, that the market for housing, especially, will never hopefully crash that low again. But you're in a single family rental. Like I said, I know Covington, Georgia a little bit. I went to Georgia Tech, so I know the Atlanta area. And then the the human side of it, right? Nobody wants to be the hard ass, cold, you know, business person when you're dealing with a human on the other side. And there's an extent there where once you start down a slippery slope, especially when this is, this is a big deal to you, right? It's not like you've got a hundred of these, you've got this one thing you started with. People sometimes don't get that unless they've been on the flip side of that, right? I really appreciate you sharing that sort of end to end. And now you've got a rent to own situation set up. So you, to me, you've got tons of experience all wrapped up into that one thing. Uh, so thanks for sharing that.
0: No, no problem.
1: The uh, next thing. So now in addition to this, you've got some other passive investments, right? So the, so, how, so how I've connected with you is Jerome Myers introduced us. And Jerome, of course, has his own podcast. Mm-hmm. He's a, He's been a home flipper. He's a business owner. Uh, he's doing a big multi-unit deal uh, in North Carolina there. So have you invested in some of his deals?
0: Yes, I have. It's interesting how I got into this part of of real estate. So doing finances for individuals and small businesses, understanding that aspect, the investment aspect of it and uh, building out financial models that had led me into a cannabis venture where I was approached about getting into and helping grow cannabis in states that are legal. So I I got into growing cannabis in 2012 and built a full-scale model on cannabis, and what I saw was that real estate, especially when it comes to having land in, in, in good climate areas to be able to grow cannabis, were monster deals on the property owner side. And then from you know a cannabis standpoint, I mean, to essentially have you know a, a raw product or a raw commodity, you know, was huge. You you'll be able to control the index pricing of the market, sort of say, right uh, with the price and demand. And so, uh, I, I got into that aspect of business aspect of cannabis and it just really took off. And so from there, I had to learn, understand and learn large land purchases as well as able to stack up some coins so that I could invest, you know, passively in, in real estate. And so what I ended up doing from my lessons learned, you know, from that active rental that I did was that I didn't want to be that far into the weeds of dealing with real estate. So I said, okay, let me do uh, some passive investing. So I took the approach of I have investment money. Uh, Here is an operator who will take my funds, invest it accordingly, flip the property and then manage it and deliver the cash flows needed from whatever desired contract that, you know, that we in terms that we set up. To me, that was that was a lot less of a headache, even though the return is probably going to be lower, but it's still going to be a greater return than letting your money sit in a bank account.
1: Okay, let me drill down here a little bit. So I want to I want to approach this subject a little carefully. So first, I'm going to bracket my whole history related to growing up in South Florida. I'll just say the drug industry, right? Because my first experience was with cannabis was as a young teenager protecting plants for a drug dealing brother-in-law, right? And a whole host of things, mostly with negative connotations that I have about the drug industry in general and whatnot. Now I know we're in a different age, and there's a lot of things going on specifically related to marijuana, and we all know that compared to alcohol and other things. But so I'm going to bracket all my own personal stuff for for a <laughs> moment, right, and try to dig into this thing because people listening here that don't know you, they might not know uh, your history that you come to the equation with, right? Because there's some things related to PTSD. There's some poignant things that you've personally gone through with people you were close to at West Point. I'm not asking you to necessarily—you don't have to dig into all this, but if you want to lay a few a few things out that brings you to this equation and sort of your view on the cannabis industry, I, w- I would appreciate that. And then what I really want to get to as well here is digging down to—if you can just— Give us a snippet of of what a uh, what a deal looks like in this area in terms of owning the land, renting out the land. You know, like I said, because back in the early '80s and uh, back in those days, I knew it was a thousand dollars per small plant, and that my job was to make sure I didn't a get shot or b nobody got caught, and that was just being used. So, uh, so give me the modern perspective on it, please. Over.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, first, let me say this. Right, just just to clarify, I am a big proponent of medical cannabis, right, in the industry. So I had you ask me, you know, my dealings before 2012, I could count on three fingers how many times I've had interactions with, with cannabis. So I'm not necessarily a big proponent on recreational cannabis. I'm cool with it, but, you know, that's not my focus, you know, to to each his own. For me, I like the holistic, the healing effects of what cannabis can do for for the body as a whole on a natural way versus having to take opioids or a whole bunch of pills and having this zombie feeling. So being a combat veteran and having been deployed and, and gotten hurt, I know that there are a lot of veterans out there who just on a daily basis, do all they can to manage the pain, both mental and physical. And so I feel like, you know, there, of course, is, is more research that needs to be done. But I, I definitely feel like there are some benefits to cannabis, even if it's CBD and not necessarily, you know, marijuana, you know, the THC, the weed part. But even just the CBD uh, that that has an effect on depression, on PTSD on insomnia, on conflicts, grief that communities as a whole can benefit from, especially as, you know, the research advance and we start to figure out how, uh, you know, we can use this to our benefit. So okay. um, I am completely on medical research and the business aspect of cannabis, right? I just wanted to put that out there.
1: Thank you. I like the way you laid that out. Now move over to the the business aspects, uh, uh, CBD, hemp, uh, cannabis healing effects, and and how that plays out. Because I don't know anything about the industry other than I have seen some real estate investment groups come in and say, you know, I could get 12% of my money relative to an industry, but I don't know how that looks with just land.
0: Okay. So I'll give, you know, just some rough numbers on, you know, how we're and what it would look like. Uh, I would say right now in the company that I'm working for, CoolCore, it doesn't give you that euphoric high feeling that weed gives you, but it does help with chronic pain and inflammation in the body. So we, we have five brands, 24 products, and they're all uh, hemp-based uh, CBD extracts. So they're, they're perfectly 100% legal. And we have everything from women's health and beauty, to supplements to help with muscle recovery, to sleep aids, to supplements that help in the bedroom, as well as which is one of my favorites. We have a, we have a kind spice product where it's CBD infused flowers, spices, sugars, anything seasonings that you know you, you named it. Okay, and so we provide a plethora of. Products that any individual could use in the sense to help with their personal regimen of care, right, both inside and out.
1: Okay. Can you give me the name of that company again? Because I didn't. Know, can I? Can you spell that out for me?
0: Yeah, Kakua Core. So um, K-U-K-U-A-C-O-R-P, and you can look that up online, KakuaCorp.com.
1: Excellent. Okay. That is interesting. Yeah. I should have yeah. done that so, before we talked, but but go ahead. Tell me tell me more about <laughs> it.
0: So with that company, uh, we, we are a seed to sell, virtually integrated business. We own land that you'll be able to farm, grow your own, help the nutrients that you would use to farm with and grow the plant, and then the extraction process for creating the, the CBD products, right? And then turning those products into end products to sell in a different market and so we we uh, were vertically integrated into the space and what you're looking at from a real estate standpoint is because land is such a valuable resource in the cannabis world don't quote me on this but there was a saying where you know one acre of hemp can do more than what i think it was like 5 acres of cotton could do because the biomass from the hemp the actual cbd extracts that you get from the plant uh, all of those things can be used. I mean, literally from uh, the base of the root to the tip of the plant, you can use all of that in so many different industries. It's a business in itself, right? And so owning the land is the most important thing. And what I've seen in the industry is where these property owners will uh, lease out their land to, to these cannabis companies to grow or, or you know, to cultivate and essentially, that's their way of investing into cannabis, but without being directly tied to it. Right. Okay. And so the returns that they get for leasing out the land uh, are, are astronomical.
1: Okay. Gotcha. And this is probably mostly in what warm weather state, California, Florida. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Warm weather states, uh, California, some parts of, you know, Colorado, uh, but definitely all the, the lower states that are legal.
1: Okay. Is the THC, actual marijuana side of this, not part of Kukua Corp? Corp Kukua? Or is that a, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, Kukua. Just call it Kukua. Kukua. <laughs> uh, it Currently, it is not part of our business model, just because from a U.S. standpoint, we don't want to, we're, we're, we're all about the, the healthier side of healing the body. And so once the laws progress on a federal level with the THC side of the house with marijuana, then, you know, we'll start to further develop those relationships and create a product line, you know, a, along that path. But our primary focus right now is on the CBD market because it is so wide open And the trajectory of, you know, how the market is going to go, I mean, is exponential.
1: I really like how you laid that out for me. Uh, Some of the discussion around this type of stuff can get controversial. Quite the entrepreneur. See, I usually like to ask my guests if they're opportunity-based investors, niche, asset-based, asset class, or or what. It sounds to me like opportunity investment is the way you look at things, right?
0: yeah opportunity and investment is the way I look at it we we currently offer not just products and white labeling but we also offer consulting services where for any investor that actually wants to get into cannabis uh, we offer consulting services to help actually uh, set up a turnkey facility, and take you through the whole growing process, you know, the first year. So we offer services like that. We also help with deal structures as far as, you know, coming in and being a third party to help construct the business model that, that works between, you know, two entities trying to, to do business in the cannabis space.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's fascinating. So is this, do you anticipate this would overtake your other business or complement it or how, what's the, what's your personal growth strategy, I guess?
0: To a degree, it complements, you know, because my, my, my background is in finance. Uh, that's where I, I play a big part with the company. And I also grow. Uh, for me, being able to grow the plant and put it in a nurturing environment so that you can get the most out of that plant, that's actually, you know, part of my, my healing process, you know, with dealing with PTSD. To have a green thumb and to keep myself active, I love getting out in the farm and, and helping grow
1: Okay, that's great. So you have property in North Carolina where you do that, or where where is your where are you growing?
0: So in your we house? are currently no, not in <laughs> really, your not basement. We're <laughs> we're currently growing out in California. We have seven acres out in California. We have a seven thousand square foot area in Ohio that we're consulting for. We have another thirty two acres here in California that we're getting ready to go into lease into a lease agreement with. Okay. Uh, we are looking internationally, South America, and then in the European markets for land as well.
1: Well, you got, geez, you don't even have to go to Europe yet. You only got like 40, 50 acres here. You got, there's, there's a lot of space in America we got to find for you to keep that up. <laughs> so you, so you, uh, split, t- you travel out to California from North Carolina a lot, Is there, or are you? Are you yeah, physi- yeah. Okay. You're physically in North Carolina today, right?
0: Yeah. I'm physically in North Carolina today.
1: I think we ran the gamut. Before, before I pivot to a few more personal questions, Greg, uh, anything else related to real estate or land advertised relative to your business?
0: Yeah, you know the the last piece of advice that I would give, because when I first got into it, I was looking at newer model uh, homes, or at least like newly constructed homes. I was along the the mindset of most people will want to buy or rent into something new, right? But having a newer home of course meant having a longer mortgage right payment mm-hmm. versus finding a home that, you know, is, is fifty to seventy thousand dollars, uh written it up and then I'm um, fixing it up and then renting it out. At the end of, you know, a person paying off that lease, everything at that point is now is now pure profit versus uh having a mortgage that, you know, is like two hundred thousand dollars and having to wait 16 to 17 years for that thing to be paid off before you actually make a pure profit from it.
1: Okay, great tip you added there at the end. Thanks, Greg. So now I was just going to ask you, I had to talk football a little bit because like I said, one of my earlier podcasts, Joe Albano, MVP of the 1970 team. So I wanted to tap into anything you're willing to share about uh, your experience at West Point as a star there and a team captain. Over.
0: Oh yeah. I love playing football. Football teaches you so many aspects of life that like the transition, it's just endless from the grit that you need to, to win and endurance on the field and the toughness to the leadership values that, you know, instilling yourself to, uh, to to get up and keep going. I've learned a lot. My greatest memory, I got two, right? My first one, Army-Navy game, my senior year. Of course, you know, the Army-Navy is the last game for seniors that they'll ever play football, you know, in their life. And from there, they go off and they become... Uh, officers in the military and, and go off and serve our country. So it's a, it's a lot of honor in that game because that game is one of the, the true games where you have soldiers on the field that will literally give it all for their country. Absolutely, and 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 know it. And so you know that, that that's one of my most honorable games I've ever played in my entire life. And so I, I will say my my senior year, outside linebacker between my junior and senior year, I had led the nation in tackles. And I got a chance, I you know, I was getting looked at, you know, for for the NFL. Considering what was happening in, in the world, I looked at it as a win-win situation, whether I played football or if I went and served, you know, my country, because essentially that's what I signed up to do when I went to West. So here we are. The season is taking place. Navy has a stellar fullback. Fullback for the whole year, has not been dropped for a loss, has positive gains. He actually went on and played in the NFL. I believe he got a ring. He, yeah, he did with the uh, with the, the New England Patriots. His name is Kyle Eckel. Um and, and to this day, I am the only person to drop him for a loss senior year. Nice. So... <laughs> that is,
1: <laughs> that must have been a big one. Yeah, and I'm yeah. a Patriots fan. I know who you're talking about then. <laughs> You dropped him for a loss, and it was the first one, huh? It's, it's funny the things that stand out. Here you are, the leading tackler in the whole country, but that that one thing uh, stands out as amazing.
0: When you can read a play and you know exactly what's about to happen and there's no wasted movements to get to where you're supposed to be, and you come up with the big play, yeah, it's, it's that's fabulous. That's a good thing. <laughs>
1: and, and, and the way you talk about the Army-Navy game and stuff, I, I'm, you know, that's powerful stuff. Right? They, I literally got goosebumps on my arm thinking about that and what you guys do, and then you go become soldiers. And now on the soldiering side of that, going into combat, and of course football probably plays a part in your mentality when you're going to those situations as well, and, and life situations. And uh, you had people you were close to and who passed away uh, way too soon. I wonder thoughts you might share about... Uh, Just briefly about, about about, yeah, about your friends, about that, and then about uh, going forward, your view of helping fellow veterans.
0: Okay, well, to share, the first thing that they tell you at West Point is that you will make friends for life. For most, you know, 340 days out the year, you are blood, sweat and tears with your classmates, brothers and sisters, grinding away at your sport, grinding away at education and grinding away at your military training. And so you develop a very close bond and tight knit group amongst everyone. One of my fondest memories of West Point and the Army Football Brotherhood, my mom had never been to a game, not that she didn't want to. But that she couldn't afford to come. Junior and senior year, my classmates and underclassmen, they they actually saw, you know, that you know my, my mom, my family wasn't there for the home game. And so my senior year, the last home game of the senior year, my teammates put together, and you know, of course, you know their families put together, contacted my mom and flew her up for my last senior home game. And surprised the heck out of me with her showing up on on the field.
1: That's amazing. That's awesome.
0: And so, you know, for for them to be that cognitive and, you know, and and that thoughtful about that aspect of, of us being there. And knowing that, you know, we're sacrificing our time, energy and bodies, you know, for for the sport and essentially for, you know, for our country, I mean, that that was an amazing feeling to know that I had brothers that were were looking out for me that way. And it didn't stop even when I was Fort deployed in Afghanistan and Iraq. I knew when I was going out that my guys had my back and I had theirs 100 percent. And so um, it's an amazing feeling. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world. Unfortunately, war comes at an expense, right? You win some and you lose some. The quest is to keep pressing on. I lost two of my close friends while I was during that time frame. Emily uh, Perez and Scott Pace, they were my two best friends outside of me playing football. And I used to remember, you know, us coming in from practice and everybody being tired and beat up and we would just sit and talk and, and encourage each other to to keep going and keep pressing forward. And so uh when I learned of of their passing, that really hit hard to the point where, you know, like it, it 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 rips you apart on the inside mentally, you know, and spiritually and emotionally. But the one thing that I can say is that the thing that sticks out to me that 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 I'm reminded of. And, and I heard it, and I haven't let it go, right? Um, it's an old saying, and they say if you let a person's memory die, they die twice. And so I feel like it's my duty, it's my my obligation to tell their stories because these are two remarkable human beings that I want their legacy and their story to live on. And so everywhere I go, I try to share in on their their experience and their life and i try to uh show it in in the things that i do and how i give back to to my family and my community
1: okay greg thank you for sharing that very personal story and um given me and also our listeners once this is aired some more things to think about you know coupled with all this your own amazing story and sharing the feeling of brotherhood that uh is hard to come by. It's earned. It, like you said, blood, sweat and tears day after day. And uh, a few people share those bonds and, and you and you, you had it at West Point and you had it in combat. And then particularly the memories of Emily Perez and Scott Pace. And uh, I just encourage our listeners when you're done with this podcast, go look up Emily and Scott and take a few moments and think about uh, them and their service and their sacrifice in honor of Greg's willingness to Uh, continue talking about their legacy so their memories aren't forgotten. I'm sure their families appreciate that and uh, your brothers and sisters appreciate that. So thank you, Greg, for uh, sharing that with us. And I know you want to, within your business, uh, do other things for veterans. So I'm going to encourage people to uh, look up your company name. And uh, you and I personally will keep continuing the conversation about uh, ways we can help veteran groups because um, there are those memories of those who passed that we have to keep going in terms of their legacy. And so they're not forgotten. And then there's those who've come back who we also can never forget. Right. I'll share that passion with you in wanting to to help in any way we can.
0: I appreciate that.
1: So thanks a lot, Greg. Like I said, fabulous interview today. I really appreciate you taking the time out, and we'll continue talking. All right, Jim. Thank you for your service, as always.
0: All right, I appreciate you. All right, out here. All right, out.
1: I'm proud to be your host. I'm privileged to have served, and I'm grateful for all your sacrifices. Until next time. Because the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that.